Not much, but I'm all I think about 24 hours at a time. My name is David Cunningham, and I'm from uh, Laguna Hills, California. Welcome, new folk. Everybody here was a new folk at once. And we'd like you to know that uh, we made it. We made it by using the 12 steps you find over here. That's not what I wanted to hear when I got here. Uh, I wanted my problems to go away. I wanted the law problems to go away. I wanted to gain weight. I got here uh, at age 29, I was 145 pounds and they got me from uh, downtown MacArthur Park in Los Angeles where I've been smoking crack holed up in a, in a $15 a night room for a really long time. I didn't start out that way, but that's the way it ended up. I don't remember my first drink. My last drink was at a sober wedding. Go figure. I <laughs> uh, grew up in New Jersey. I came from a good family. No alcoholism at the parental level. I found out later when I hit the recovery home that I had a grandfather who I never knew because he died from drinking while on an abuse back in the 1950s. And the recovery home man, Jim Nugent said to my mother, so who's the alcoholic in the family? Because it's a family disease. And I'm thinking, well, was, I didn't know of any. And I found out at that moment that it was my grandfather. I said, I come from, I'm the oldest of four boys. And uh, I grew up in a good family and there was no problems, no beatings, no excessive drinking. My dad had a beer on Saturday after he cut the grass. Good deal, you know. But I would see people at parties we'd go to, uh, family events, and uh, they all look like they're having a really good time just drinking whatever adults drink in those little glasses, probably scotch or vodka or gin or something. That looked really, I wanted that. I wanted to be the successful guy at the country club in the green shirt and the pink pants with a drink in my hand, that guy. I was jealous of them. I did not like myself. I wanted to be like part of their family. My family wasn't like that. Uh, drinking was very acceptable where I grew up. Uh, 1970s, drinking and driving was still legal in this country or so I thought. <laughs> And I proceeded to do that on a daily basis from the late 1970s until 1989. And I got popped a couple of times as we do, thankfully. And uh, I got sent to you guys, but I never came. So they started picking me up, cuffing me up at work because they knew where to find me. I worked at the Westwood Car Wash and I was there for five years because I'd found people who drank like I did. They didn't speak English and they didn't have to. They drank like I did. We got along just fine. But I get, I get ahead of myself. <clears throat> I'd begun a pattern of behavior where I was evicted from every school or place that I've been to either by the authorities there or by the police. I got thrown out of uh, prep school. I got thrown out of college twice. I was escorted out of New York City. Something to do with hookers. I don't remember much. They said, you go back to New Jersey, go through the tunnel and don't come back. And they were waiting for me as I came back and I did a U-turn. Escorted me out of the city once again. It's hard to get escorted out of New York City, but if you were a spoiled little rich white kid 
They really didn't want anything to do with you other than to kick you out and say, get out of here, kid. Um, by the age of 21, I had told my dad I need to leave college. I didn't know why, but it's, it's what I learned here is the whole. There's something wrong and I don't know what it is, dad, but I'm going to California and I'm gonna follow the Grateful Dead. And I'm gonna go on tour and that's it, I ain't coming back. And that's what I did. And uh, let's see, things fell apart immediately after the, the, the uh, <laughs> and I ended up uh, couch surfing. I met some friends up in Santa Monica. My first place I lived after that was uh, my fraternity house up at UCLA. They had a keg on tap and I found a job in Westwood. And I was like, oh, this is what it's all about. Free booze, working, living out here. And I met people who were just like us. And so I ended up in Venice for a while. Then I ended up in Redondo Beach for a while and then Hermosa Beach for a while because we can never stay any place for too long. <laughs> and like I said, I went to the Westwood Car Wash in 1984 and I would live in Redondo Beach. And then when I wasn't holding it together and I was doing too many drugs, I was living down in the Pico Union District, downtown Los Angeles with my friends from work. They took me in, they always took me in and I lived with them. And then when we'd get another place in Hermosa Beach and then I'd be back, I discovered crack <laughs> about 1986, Jerry, had gone into a coma and there was no shows at Ventura that year. And we had a lot of money saved up for those shows. And one thing led to another and I, and I ended up going to the projects for the next three years off and on. And I had no control over it. I couldn't not go. I'd start drinking by the third drink. I couldn't not make that exit off the freeway going back to Redondo at night. And uh, I think that's a, if you're new, that's an example to me of being powerless because I had no say in the matter. ABC, alcohol becomes crack for me. I'm a blackout drinker. I love a good double Myers and Coke to start the night. And I might be driving on the streets of Westwood ramming the front door of the bar after they'd thrown me out with my car. And not I'd hear about it, but that's what would happen to me often. Uh, I had mentioned before that uh, I, I found lower companions and I used to run around with this little gang on the west side, Sotel Trece, and they took me in because I was just a crazy white person. <laughs> and that was okay with them, you know? And, and I only tell you that because I'd gone, I ended up going to jail with them uh, and ended up getting an assault charge salt with a deadly weapon at the car wash. I had a garden hoe. <laughs> but he had my friend Frankie with a gun on him. And I charged him about 30, 40 yards away and just, I was ready to cleave this guy and he pulled it on me and I dropped it. Thank God I would have killed him. I would not be here today. But that got me in with them forever. And I like doing drugs and drinking. They like doing drugs and drinking. I was at home. Okay. Now all this time, my family's back east, and I always call them up and I tell them how good I was doing. Right? You don't tell the truth. I'm a liar, cheat, and a thief. I do not tell the truth. I tell my mom and dad, you know, doing great. I go back home, 
to visit every couple of years. And it was almost like a break from the action out here. It was like, you'll get the heat off. But then I found out that it took a fifth to get across country back then. They allowed you to bring your bottles onto the plane and you could smoke. And it was, it was just a flying party. Every time I went back, I meet new friends or I pour out in a blackout and just go to the nearest cab driver taking to the liquor store. I remember showing up at wet for my friends from college wedding in a blackout and the, the parents usually looked like, get him out of here. I, it turned out, I found out just recently I'd been back and uh, yeah, you were smoking in the church in the back. And I was like, ooh, sorry about that. <laughs> and I had made amends to these people prior. And these are things I didn't, you still find out about years later. And they don't hold it against you because that's just the way you were. And they expected nothing better. But I'd rather have been dead, you know. I mean, back in the 1960s, uh, in school, we'd have duck and cover girls in case the Russians dropped the big one. And uh, as I got older, about 23, 24, I used to hope for the big one, you know. I wanted nuclear war because that's the only chance I had. That was going to make me even with you again. My time's up here tonight. Love you all. Thankful for our speaker who came down. Happy birthday to the birthday people. Keep coming back no matter what. Thank you.